You're listening to the Tales of a Motherless Mother podcast with me, Paulina. The Tome Table is open to girls and women from all walks of life who want to talk about the real-life impact of having to navigate childhood, teens, and especially motherhood whilst dealing with the absence of a mother-daughter relationship. Whilst you're here, kindly follow the podcast and leave a rating. And if you want to join in, send your thoughts, questions, or answers to talesofamotherlessmother at gmail.com or slide into our Instagram DMs at Tales of a Motherless Mother. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get into today's episode. Before we get started, I'm going to meet you with three random facts you should know about me. One, ripe plantain is bait. Ripe fried plantain is the bayest. And if you don't like plantain, I will never fully understand you. One of my really good friends' husband doesn't like plantain. It confuses me. Fact number two. Watermelon and cucumber taste like wet dog. Now, I've never tasted wet dog, but I am positively certain that if I did taste a wet dog, it would taste like watermelon and cucumber. Fact number three, for those that are still listening, I am awful at replying to WhatsApp messages like terrible. Just message me and move on with your life. Unless you say something urgent, I will reply later, like much later, like next week. And I don't even have the audacity to turn off the blue ticks because I need to know that you got my message. Like I need to know that, but I'll reply to you later. But anyway, I digress. Here it is, the very first episode of the Tales of a Motherless Mother podcast. If you can't hear it in my voice, let me tell you, I am so excited to be here and start this journey. Thank you so much for tuning in and for all the love I've gotten since you first heard the trailer. Massive shout out to one of my best friends who has cheered me on from the very beginning when I stood in her kitchen, told her I wanted to do this podcast and without missing a beat, she looked at me and said, yes, you need to do this. So in light of International Women's Week, yes, I am extending it, I'm going to start this by saying, yes, you need to do this. Your voice is worth being heard. Yes, you deserve to be seen. Yes, you'd need to follow that dream. Yes, you need to get up, put the cake down and get to walking. Yes, you need to stand up for yourself. Yes, you need to write that blog, that book. Yes, you need to do this. So if you have no one else in your corner telling you yes, hear me when I say this. Yes, you need to do this. And once you're done listening to me, find another woman and make sure you tell her yes, you can do this. I'm not going to lie. As soon as I pressed that enter button to put the trailer out, imposter syndrome kicked in and the nerves were real. Suddenly I got all tongue tied. Yes, me. And anxious that I would have nothing to say. And to be honest, I almost pulled it back. Then I remembered something. The Tales of a Motherless Mother podcast is something I've been wanting to do for years, years. When I think about creating this platform for girls and women like me, I get so excited. I want to hear people's stories. Is that because I'm nosy? I want to share mine too. I want to be encouraged. I want to be inspired. But I've come to realise that sometimes being brave enough to stand in your own truth often encourages others to do the same. The Tone Podcast is definitely my baby. Not because it's about focusing on the loss of the relationship I would have had with my mother, but because it's about addressing the impact of the loss in real life. Have you ever had something burning in your heart that you knew you just had to do? You may not have known a lot about it or even figured out your whole purpose on this earth, but you knew you had to do at least this one thing. For me, one of those things is this podcast. 
So here I am, barely able to record or edit audio, embracing the fear and doing it anyway. Of course, there would be no tome if I hadn't had to experience the death of my mother and everything that happened in its wake. There are a few areas of my life that haven't been at least kissed by the impact of her passing. Whether it be the way I address friendships and relationships, choosing to reinvent myself at every milestone so that I could finally choose how I wanted to present myself to the world. As a result, some great friendships became collateral damage because they reminded me too much of how that season of my life may have been different if she had been around. They reminded me that my mother wasn't around to help me, care for me or even protect me. The way that I choose to parent my children intentionally, ensuring that they feel loved, seen, heard and treasured, yet independent because I'm desperate to make sure that if the worst should happen to me, they won't feel abandoned the way that I did whilst trying to accept the fact that there is no way you can truly prepare somebody for that. It's taken centre stage in my desire to seek validation and acceptance from older women in my life. Those that I looked onto as mother figures who always started out nice, brought me onto the fold, embraced me. And just as I was getting ready to exhale, life would remind me that their children came first and there was no room for me. Once again, I would be left out, reminded that there was no mother who was just mine. I often put them on pedestals as sheroes because I was so grateful that they spared time for me that when they withheld themselves for whatever reason or the relationship evolved or was outgrown, I took it personally. Feeling rejected, I would lash out and choose to believe that it was because I wasn't worthy of love, often leading me to accept the dysfunctional version of the relationship just because I feared being left out again. I was nine years old when my mother passed. We had only lived together for about four years at that point because she had spent my early years studying abroad. I have few memories of doing stuff with my mum. As the sole breadwinner of our family, she worked a lot and so we didn't just like spend time together doing nothing. One thing I do remember is that I felt loved. I knew my mother loved me. I don't know how, but I knew it. She took great care of me and always made sure I was well-dressed and had the best of what she could give me. I was that kid with like, you know, the matching earrings, necklace and bracelet, gold. (laughs) That was me. Whenever she could, she would take me out with her and I would sit in a corner while some poor soul poured out their heart to her and asked for help. She gave great advice and was very generous, so there was no sorted of people who wanted to be around my Lisa. When my mum was around, I could be myself. I was a bright child, naturally inquisitive, with a particularly dry sense of humour. I was the kid who, as the person was telling her about yet another situation they found themselves in, would ask, haven't you had this conversation before? Or like, that sounds silly, let me tell you what you should do. I was the kid who dared to look up at a grown-up and say, that makes no sense. When my mum was around, I could do just that. Be me. Don't get it twisted. Though her manner was soft, she was no fool and she had that look that I could sense. Even if my back was to her, like there were times when even if she wasn't next to me, I could feel her eyes burning into my back and thus my soul. And I knew that it was time to sit down and shut up. That's the level of influence I need to have on my kids because kids today just need a good look. As we get on with Tome, I'll share more about her. Don't you worry. The aftermath of her passing was devastating. As someone who was loved by all her absence left sheer chaos. You see, grief does terrible things to people and a reluctance to deal with it can be more disruptive than the whole a loved one leaves. I'll get more into this on the episode titled The Tale of Grief. My mother had two daughters, me and my baby sister Susanna. 
after she passed, we were taken from our home in Angola in an effort to give us stability and a better life than our war-torn country could give us. Something I'll always be grateful to my uncles for, to be honest. We were taken to live in London with my maternal uncles and their families from the age of about 9 to 15. I literally went from being a regular child with two parents to a caregiver, suddenly being responsible for the emotional well-being of my baby sister, who was just two when our mother passed away. Whilst our physical needs were met for the most part, our emotional needs really weren't. No one ever really sat us down and to explain to us like what had happened. Life just moved on. I remember at my uncle's houses, every memory of my mum was erased. Pictures and videos destroyed, thrown away or hidden. She was never talked about. It was like she never existed. Looking back on it now, I'm pretty sure that when my uncles decided to get rid of pictures and videos and things like that of my mum, like, I don't think that they were trying to do it to hurt us. I think they were just really sad. I think they were so sad that they had lost somebody that they loved so much. They felt guilty about not being there for her at the time when she needed them. Like it wasn't their fault necessarily, but I think that grief does things to you. Like it can really alter the way that you look at things to the point that because they were so overwhelmed with their sadness, they decided to just kind of erase her from their lives. But like you can't erase her and then have us. So it was just so awkward because like I think to myself like, you know, my mum isn't here, you have no pictures, you never talk about her. Who am I? But I came from her. So if you erase her, is it does it mean you want me to be erased? Do I belong here then if she isn't here and you pretend like she was never here? So that was really, really confusing. And I think that had they known that that was something that would end up being like a thread in my life, I don't, I'd like to think that they would have done something different. But it just goes to show that like when you're really dealing with your grief, if you're not dealing with it like sensibly and with help, like therapy is not voodoo. Therapy is helpful. Like if you're not really getting that help to deal with your grief, you can end up retaliating in ways that can have far worse detrimental effects. Like as a child growing up and not being taught and my mum not being talked about, it was awful people would like in hushed tones tell me how I was like her and it was always in hushed tones because my sister was so little when she passed that she grew up believing that my aunt and my uncle were her parents so nobody told her that actually um that her mum was somebody different and I think I helped up to keep up that charade to be honest because I didn't want to break her heart so I kind of just carried on calling my aunts and uncles mums and dads and really treating them like my mums and dads as opposed to my aunts and uncles because I wanted my sister to have that level of stability but it was weird it was just weird like growing up being told I looked like my mum or I was like my mum I remember one of my aunts even like one time we were just sitting on the sofa and she looked at me and she went your toes are just like your mums and I'm like what am I supposed to do with that information what does that even mean (laughs) what do you want me to do with this and it just kind of started to filter back into our lives like when they were ready to talk about her they just suddenly started talking about her and I'm like okay it's been about five years you've never mentioned her okay it's been about seven years oh now you remember she lived it was just so awkward and I think it had a far more detrimental effect than they could ever have thought of We had referred to uncles and aunts as my mum and papa our whole lives anyway and culturally this was normal for us but when she was gone it landed just like differently you know. 
at times it'd be comforting to still be able to call out mama when you were met well but other times it was pretty soul crushing to call out mama to the same person who was rejecting you the fact that there was no memorabilia of her made it even more awkward like if she didn't exist how did we get here fast forward i went through secondary school and college pretty much knowing that despite everyone saying how great i was with kids that and how i was a natural caregiver i wouldn't necessarily have had children i don't know why but i never really saw myself as a mother fast forward to 19 and i met this guy a youngish nigerian medical student who played a certain blue guitar and swept me off my feet not so much because he was dashing though he was but mostly because at this stage of my reinvention i was trying to run as far away as i possibly could from my family he was older knowledgeable with a warm and embracing family and for the first time in my life i felt like i belonged before we knew it i was planning our wedding and it was probably the first time that i became aware of how my motherlessness would affect my adulthood i was living in manchester but we were going to get married in london and so i remember planning my wedding pretty much on my own one of my aunts like helped me here and there but she left she lived abroad and so she wasn't able to like be on the ground with me until close to the end I remember having to go like wedding dress shopping with my mother-in-law to be. We would go to these appointments and the assistants would assume that she was my mum. I think part of it is because we have like similar face shapes and we both smile really big. Like our cheeks go really high when we smile. But I definitely did notice like the furrowing of their face when I said, no, she's my mother-in-law to be. The thought did cross my mind like, oh yeah, like this is something that you do with your mum, innit? But I kind of just blocked it out and... As the kids say these days, we move. Closer to the end of the planning process, when, like anybody who's planned a wedding will know, tensions are high, everyone wants their way. I remember really wishing my mum was here. There were times when I felt like I really couldn't say anything or disagree because I didn't have anyone to have my back or back for me. I didn't have my grown-up and I really missed out. I remember the day before the wedding of my aunt... (laughs) who had arrived at this point, uh, literally got her friend to sit me down and talk to me about my womanly duties for my wedding night. I'm telling you, all I wanted to do was crawl under the bed. It was so awkward. What kind of wizardrous conversation is this? This woman was giving me tips. I mean, handy tips, but awkward tips nonetheless. Now, I'm not sure if my mum if my was alive that I would have had this conversation with her, but at least I would have been able to run away and get her to save me. Fast forward a few years and we find out we're expecting much to the delight of family members who, unbeknownst to me, had been praying for us to conceive. We'd been married for two years at that point. Two years. We still didn't even really understand council tax at this point. It was so early on. As a side note, let's stop with the womb watching. When a couple decide to have a baby is none of your business. It isn't even your business to demand grandchildren. Just leave them alone. When they have kids, you will know. When the reality of having a baby began to sink in, I didn't really have any angst about whether I'd be able to do it. Like at this point, I had a lot of experience with kids, babies, the whole lot. Like when my little cousin was born and her mum got sick, I had to literally look after her with my 11, 12-year-old self, washing hand, washing like hand-washing clothes, changing nappies, making bottles. So I wasn't like afraid of looking after the child. I never necessarily coveted motherhood. It kind of just happened to me as well. Like growing up, I didn't really fancy becoming a mum. But when I met my husband, he was clear that he wanted to be a dad. And so I never really voiced my reservations. 
he was my knight in shining armor after all i belonged with him look out for the tale of wifehood where i explain about this a bit more of course now i know motherhood is absolutely for me i adore my children motherhood is unrelenting but single-handedly the best thing i have ever done they frustrate me and make me belly laugh all on the same day they give me joy as i got closer to giving birth my church threw me a baby shower and at the shower everyone goes around giving advice and i remember someone mentioning how their mum moved in with them when they had their baby and all that and i was like oh yeah like that's something that's supposed to happen for me at least culturally anyway my mum is supposed to come to me she's supposed to wash my baby wash me wrap my belly in cloth if you don't know what that is like it's literally as it sounds your belly is wrapped so tight so that it shrinks back easier and quicker after birth I definitely felt a tug at that point but I kind of just moved past it again we move so birth time came and my husband and mother-in-law were in the room with me during the labor I remember being so aware that my mother wasn't around I didn't want to say anything because I knew my husband wouldn't understand and I didn't really want my mother-in-law to feel bad but I just missed my mum so much my labour was traumatic and long and I had some issues during it that I remember just wishing it was my mother there instead of my mother-in-law. I don't think I was able to fully be present in the birth of my son and the presence of my mother-in-law was just a reminder that my mum wasn't there. None of my aunts volunteered to be there so it wasn't like I had any other options but it just served as a reminder that I didn't have my mum. My aunt who lived abroad ended up coming a few days after I gave birth and that was the first time I had someone who was there for me during that process. Like she tried to do some of the traditional stuff which was really nice. I mean my belly was wrapped tight and I couldn't breathe for a bit but you know we moved. My husband's family obviously loved on us and I had everything that I needed. Mate, I could have asked my mother-in-law to get me a part of the moon and she would have done it for me. You know she really did tend for me but she wasn't my mum. The majority of women who I looked unto as a mother figures really were nowhere to be found. I was greeted, I was congratulated, but I wasn't taken care of. And I know for a fact that had my mum been here, not only would she have been there, but there would have been two. The aftermath of my first child's birth was really difficult. We had a lot going on and I just remember feeling like I needed my mum. I just needed somebody who would be on my side. Not necessarily because I was right, but I just needed my grown-up. I needed her to come through and stand up for me if I just felt weak. I was in such a fragile state and I felt so alone. Looking back on it, I think a lot of this triggered postnatal depression. But at the time, I didn't really think anything about it. There is definitely this thing about motherhood that when you're struggling, you feel you're most vulnerable. Like when you're really scared that you're going to get something wrong, it kind of brings out the inner child in you. And all you want is for someone to come alongside of you, someone who is invested in your well-being, someone who loves you unconditionally. You need your mum. As each child was born and I experienced postnatal depression pretty much through all my births, but definitely with my last birth, it was probably the worst. And at each junction, when I would have called for advice or help or just a chat, I was reminded that I was a motherless mother. I wanted to call her. I wanted to call her to make jokes about her coming to get her grandchildren, wishing she was here so that I complained about my kids being cheeky, only for her to raise her brow, look at me, and be like, they're just like you when you were little. I was resentful of the fact that 
maybe other people didn't seem to be taking as much interest in my kids and thinking like if my mum was here like I wouldn't even be seeing my kids she'll be all up in this now, I'm not saying that's a good thing but it's just a way of explaining that sometimes when you're going through a grief that you haven't processed you kind of look at it through just one type of lens in my mind if my mum was here everything would be perfect now I'm mature enough to know that that's not true but that's kind of the effect of undealt grief I saw so much through the prism of my grief that there was nothing good that could have come out of this I couldn't be good I couldn't be whole or at peace because she was missing I was 34 years old when I realized that that isn't true yeah my mother is dead and yes I'm alive yes my mother is dead and I am a good mum yes my mother has passed and I don't have to look for the mums of others to take me in I don't have to be broken hearted when they disappoint me. I can love and respect their humanity because I don't put them on a pedestal. The way that I love myself and the way that I love my children is enough. I am enough. The time I had with her was enough because I like to believe that some of the good she had in her is in me. My mother loved me fiercely in the short time she had with me and I need to love myself just as fiercely. I don't need my grown up to swoop in. I've learned that God is my grown up and he is always on my side. Even when I've broken down and asked through my tears, how could my mother's death work out for my good? I haven't yet understood that, but I choose to believe that in his goodness, everything's going to be okay. I have learned to choose what I allow to define me. I have learned to embrace all the different parts of my identity and choose to shine a light on them so that others feel brave enough to do the same. I don't have to be ashamed of this title anymore. It's just a part of who I am. But rather than see it as an infection that has seeped itself and left darkness all over my life, I choose to let it illuminate my life. Yeah, I'm a motherless mother. And because of that, I can be more empathetic to those whose story is similar. Yeah, because I know what it's like to seek that love and settle for crumbs, I can remind other women that they deserve more than crumbs. Because I am a motherless mother, I can celebrate those who have great relationships with their mothers and glean from them without feeling resentful. Yeah, I had to do a lot of it alone. But because I did, and by choosing to talk about it, I hope others won't feel so alone. Yeah, my name is Paulina and I am a motherless mother. You've been listening to the Tales of a Motherless Mother podcast with me, Paulina. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to follow and share. And of course, join in the conversation at Tales of a Motherless Mother on Instagram. Use hashtag Tome, that's T-O-A-M-M, so I don't miss your posts. Until next time, remember, you are enough and don't let anyone tell you otherwise.